Good to see everybody. Good to see everybody. Hey, it's really good to be back. I've had a little bit of a summer break. Some of you didn't know that because you have too, but uh, uh, yeah, it's good to be home back in Maryland. Uh, we had a rhythm that we've kind of really fallen into over recent years. It's just been really, really good and, and great for us. We're, we're excited about, about that. And, and it's, good to, it's good to come home and uh, to be with uh, all of you all. Our, our thing this summer was uh, went to a conference for Christian leaders in Indianapolis, a couple days in Iowa with Carla's family. And then we go to the major destination, which is, as a lot of you know, the cabin on the lake in northern Minnesota. And uh, appreciate uh, the, the um, grace of the, uh, the leaders at Mountain that have said, Ben, take a week just to think pray, plan, dream, and uh, we try to do that, and then family comes in, and we just tack on vacation, and uh, we just had a great... Would you like to see some pictures? Of course you would. Okay, so this is what we do when we're up north. It's, it's uh, just kind of a lot of time with that lady right there, and there's my folks. Uh, they're getting older, and big family gatherings, a lot of time around the table with uh, my kids, nephews, nieces, second cousins once removed, that whole deal. It's like a compound up there, and there's my son, Andrew, uh, looking awkwardly with a little baby Gloria, and there's, uh, these are all my relatives. That's the lake. That's the beautiful lake. And uh, a lot of fun, a lot of playing. And as a result, a lot of this. <laughs> and that's the dock. That, yeah, that's the, one of the last mornings there, the sunrise. You can see why it has such an allure for us and, and why we go. We call the place Revive Us Again. And uh, um, I guess it's because it's kind of our prayer when we go that, that uh, we would just be revived and refreshed. And I tell you, it's been one of the cool things is to come back and see so much momentum at Mountain, to see all the ways that God is at work. I hope you've been hearing and seeing all the great stories at each of our campuses and the epicenter too, and growing at 20% and all this stuff. I had to hurry up and get back so people don't figure out that this place doesn't miss a beat when I'm gone. And uh, so I had to get back quick uh, just to, to be part of it. And now here we are in, in the middle of this series called Still Standing, because sometimes you take a beating, sometimes you want to quit, sometimes life beats you down, and it's hard to even hold on to your faith, but guess what? You find yourself still standing, because you're standing on something that can't be moved or shaken, and it's the bedrock cornerstone of our faith is Jesus Christ. And the church has been beat up. We're like Rocky Balboa, underdogs out of nowhere who should be down for the count, but who keep coming back. We're still standing. And what are we standing on? We're standing on some timeless truth. Do you know what you believe? Do you know what you can hang on to when life beats the stuffings out of you? That's what we've been focusing on this summer. Don't you wish there was some place that could just collect all the things that the Bible says about God and sort of boil it down into one little concise, handy, memorable statement? Well, there is. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And that's what we've been going through over recent weeks. Phrase by phrase, just as a way to sort of, not to preach the creed, but to, to, to see how it points us to the timeless truths upon which we 
can still stand. Even when life gets hard and when, you know, it looks like, you know, we're crazy or it feels hard, we're still standing. What the creed does is it's 18 lines and it sort of starts by pointing us to God. First of all, it says you got to believe some stuff. I believe, we say. We say it as a declaration of faith. In other words, I'm not just going to sort of swallow whatever gets stuffed down my throat by everyone around me. But instead, you step apart and you say, I believe. And it begins by pointing our gaze upward to God. It says, I believe in God. First of all, the almighty creator who's not just almighty but also our father. Abba, Daddy. And then it points our attention to Jesus, the Son of God, who He is and what He's done and how He came and lived and then died and was buried and then descended and then now rose again and and now has ascended to be with the Father from where He will return again to judge. And then last week, the Holy Spirit, this power and person and presence of God with us, an advocate for us. And if you're walking in the spirit of God, you can tell, people around you can tell because they see the gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit at work in your life, right? This is what we do. We begin by talking about father, son, and spirit, the triune God. And today we take a shift, turn a corner, because our gaze moves from upward to outward, to each other. We're going to start thinking a little bit about some of the things that are important about Christian faith that we believe about each other. Now, I don't know if you have seen it, but some friends were telling me about a um, TV program uh, from the History Channel called Alone. Anybody ever seen that? You guys seen that? Alone? I've not seen it. Sounds pretty cool. They take these people, dippy people, apparently, who they, they take out into the remote wilderness and dump them like Mongolia, Siberia, Patagonia mountains and Argentina, like crazy places like that. And they give them nothing but a camera and a few items and they have to self-document their lives as they try to survive all by themselves. It's crazy. See, they, the goal is to see how long you can go before you tap out. And the winner, the last one to tap out, wins a million bucks. You tap out by using the satellite phone they give them. You can use that satellite phone anytime you want. Call up your mama, your daddy, the producer, whatever you do, but you're done at that moment. And what they're learning is that the challenges of this show, this reality TV program, are really austere. But what they're all surprised to learn as this thing's unfolded is that the greatest challenges aren't the bitter cold or the predators are getting eaten by a bear or finding enough to eat. Like one guy lost 60 pounds. That's not the hardest part. The hardest part for them is that they're totally alone. Nobody to talk to, no one to relate to, no one to, to work with, get help from. They start going batty in the head. They start going nutso. And pretty soon they tap out one by one and reach for that satellite phone. Turns out being alone and cut off is what takes the biggest toll because those people are hungry for what we're all hungry for. Fellowship. Connection. I got to thinking about that and got to wondering, you know, how, how many of us would say our lives feel a little bit like that? Like, like we're living that reality TV show. Like we're surviving but we're not necessarily flourishing in deep connections 
with, with others. We don't have those meaningful relationships. A lot of studies show that a lot of us are lonely. We're alone. Now, society has us mashed in together in large quantities, right? We're on crowded roads and busy stores and bustling workplaces. We're connected on social media, but we're more isolated. We live in an epidemic of isolation more than ever before. We're living in the wilderness, and most of us don't have close friends. And you might say, well, I have 62 friends, man. And I'll say, well, you probably don't really have any. You got 62 friends, you probably don't have any. Those are acquaintances. Those are people you know. And what we're hungry for is someone who knows you and knows God. Someone who loves you and loves God. Do you have people like that in your life? Because that, whether we're introverted or extroverted, whether you have a family or not, is why we still have that nagging sense inside of us that there's more. We long for fellowship. Here's where it comes from. God is fellowship. God, by God's very nature, God's identity, God's essence, at the core of who God is, Father, Son, Spirit, they're one. They're distinct, but they're together. They're one, and that's the identity of God. It's pictured in our minds like a circle dance, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, doing their dance together. And out of this God, you are created. I am created, and we're created in God's image with the imprint of that longing for fellowship inside of every one of us. So it's not something you decide whether you do or your personality determines. No, no. Every one of us longs for connection. And then sin screwed it all up, and we got separated from God and one another. And we, so we run around like Adam and Eve, hiding and harming and hurling at each other until God sent a satellite phone into the picture where we can pick it up and get out of the wilderness of aloneness and step toward him and others in meaningful relationship. That's all possible through Jesus Christ, through this crazy thing that when I say the word, you'll think that's what that's for and the answer is yes you know what the crazy thing is it's the church i'm talking about the church the church the church isn't an institution it's not an organization it's not a building it's not a program it's not a business it's not a tradition it's not a steeple it's the people it's the people those People who are coming out of the wilderness of sin, which separates us from our life with God and with other people, coming together in a sort of new, different kind of community that's meant to stand somewhat in distinction from what you can find anywhere else in the world, in a sort of fellowship that's sweet and rare and precious and strong and marked and shaped by Jesus himself. When he's in the middle of a friendship or a group or a family or a church or a body, it it makes it different. It means there's grace and truth together side by side. It means there's hope, there's joy, there's love, there's healing, there's care, there's help, there's rescue. That's what the church is. People who are ready to pick up the satellite phone and say, I'm ready to connect with God and some other people in a meaningful way, in the deepest kind of friendship. The way the phrase comes to us in that old creed from centuries ago is this. I believe in the holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. Now, there's a bunch of words there that need some explanation. Boy, have I gotten emails on this phrase. Woo! (laughs) What does all that mean? Huh? 
I hear people they're saying these. Uh, they say, "What's that? What's that? What's that? All? What's that all mean?" Well, it reminds me of the famous phrase from Princess Bride, the movie. How many of you are aware that's the greatest film of all time, or am I the only one with that insight? Okay. Princess Bride, there's that, that little dumb villain guy keeps using the word inconceivable, inconceivable. And then the other guy says, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. We keep using words like holy and Catholic and church, and I'm, I don't think we always know what they mean. Let's talk about what they mean, okay? When Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, bingo, bam, you nailed it, Peter. And then in Matthew 16, 18, he says, and on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. Jesus is going to build a church on himself and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, the church is on purpose and Jesus builds it. It's not an afterthought. It's not an accident. It's, it's not some extra optional equipment. It was part of God's plan from the beginning, from the earliest pages of our Bible, where you see God is always trying to pull around to himself into the circle dance with father, son, spirit, people that he made in a relationship with him a special people who will be set out and marked holy, somewhat different from the rest of the, the world who, who don't want to play, a bride for his son, a worldwide fellowship of people who will then live out God's values and fulfill God's agenda on the planet, who will be his ambassadors, his representatives, his agents of, of change and reconciliation and spread the word that God is love and wants everyone in the family. The church matters, and we've been given a mission, a mission that doesn't come from us. You don't get to decide what we do. A church isn't a club or a clique or a social gathering, and then you just slap the word church on the door out front, and that makes you a church. No, the mission comes to us from, from Jesus himself. And that means that who we are is, well, we're the body of Christ. Think about that. We're literally Jesus on the planet. Jesus is still on the planet. He's just changed bodies. And now it's little old us. We're together through the same spirit that was in Jesus physically. Now that spirit's alive in us, the body of Christ. And so we're the hands of Jesus on this planet. We're the feet of Jesus. Where we go, God goes. What we do, God does through us. Jesus bought this church with his blood. He prays for it. He prays for us, and he will return to gather up all who follow and trust him back to himself, and we'll have eternal, unbroken fellowship with him forever and ever. He's building this church. The budget doesn't build the church. Jesus builds the church. And when he returns to gather us all together again, we can just be reminded at that moment what we should have known all along, that the church is powerful and we're still standing. It's indestructible, which means that all the pain and the problems and the evil we feel in our lives and all the ways Satan comes after you and haunts you and hounds you and harms you, it's just temporary. You just cling, you just cling to the Lord. And Satan, got bad news for you, buddy, okay? Because Jesus, when he walked out of the grave, trampled over, trampled over sin and death already, which means you're just a helpless little dog on a leash. And one day Jesus just kicks you back to the hell hole you came from. But guess what? We're going to still be standing in unbroken fellowship, fellowship, fellowship with one another and with God. Your pain and your problems are temporary, but the church of Jesus Christ is eternal because Jesus is and it's his church, and he's building it. It's amazing fellowship. 
The creed calls the Holy Catholic Church. We've got to get past the, the churchy words and realize what in the heck we're talking about. This is big. This is powerful. So, what does all this mean for us? If this is true, what, what does it mean? Well, here, here's, here's something for you. Here's the first thing I'd say this means. It means as we think about our Christian life, we've got to get better at moving from me to we. Okay, say that with me. We've got to move from me to we. Here's the problem. We're all, most of us are Americans. And Americans have been taught that everything revolves around me. That's kind of how we think. It's just how we roll. It's what we do best. And that means Christianity for us, a lot of us, we tend to think it's like a personal thing, which means the church then is just a place I go, I go to get my God fix and my life right and my spiritual needs met. Church becomes this place I go to get encouragement from my favorite teacher so I can listen to the music that I enjoy and hang out with my Christian friends. You see it? It becomes like, church becomes like spiritual Walmart where I just go with my cart to sort of get my spiritual stuff that I want. And God's vision for the church is so much bigger, and it's really never about that. It's, it's, it's not a self-help program for you and for me as individuals. It's, it's God building a people. It's about a community. Something that should get our attention is that the Bible almost never talks about me or my personal spiritual life. And that's almost all we ever talk about. It almost always talks about us, the community, the plural, and how God is shaping a people and what he's doing in and through us. And yes, that will affect your personal life very, very intensely. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, you are the body of Christ. That's plural, talking to all y'all. But then it says, and each one of you is part of it. That's how you find your place, in the body. So here's what it means. It means that in the mind of Paul or Jesus or anyone in the New Testament, the Bible's perspective cannot even imagine someone who kind of wants to be a solo Christian. Like, I just want to do this on my own. I want to have just me and Jesus. I'm going to do my little spiritual life. I love Christianity. I want to do that, but I don't really want to do the church part. This is so trendy and popular in our day. You know, people are like, I, I, I love Jesus. I'm fine. I'm going to take him a la carte. I'm going to put him in the cart, but, but I, I don't like his wife. You know, the bride of Christ, the church? Jeez. When we get together, she's just more than I can handle. I like it when I hang out with Jesus, but his wife, whoo. You ever seen her without her makeup? Oh, my gosh, she's just downright ugly. How many of you know, once in a while, the bride of Jesus is a little ugly? You know that? Take a look at the person next to you if you don't know already. Okay? I'm telling you. She's got warts and moles and wrinkles. The closer you get sometimes to the bride of Christ, oh, my gosh, the uglier she gets. It's true. It's made up by people like us. What do you expect? Right? She's obnoxious sometimes. How many of you have ever been embarrassed by the wife of Jesus? I have. How many of you ever felt like, boy, it'd be good just to have a guy's night out. Let's just get together with Jesus. And just if we didn't have to do the, the wife part. She's, she's, she's imperfect and frustrating and all that. And Jesus says, oh, I know, I know, I know. But I got to make room for you. So, so here's the deal. It's a package. You take me, you get my wife. We're a package deal. If you belong to Jesus, he says, you belong to the bride of Christ. The church as well. You put your hand into Jesus, and you think it's a personal little me and Jesus moment. He says, oh, good, let me introduce you to my friends. And he puts your hand in the hand of some other sin-stained follower of Jesus because you can't follow Jesus by yourself. It actually can't be done, not in the Bible, not in Jesus' mind. 
Christianity is a team sport. It's the only way it can be done. You can't be a biblical Christian on your own. You need to belong. You need to behave and believe with others and be strengthened by others. This isn't at Mountain, therefore, a spiritual warehouse where you come like Christian Kroger's, where you just kind of put the stuff in as you want. No, we want to be a Christian community. We want to be a, a place of fellowship and belonging. We're not a small church where everybody knows everybody. You don't have to be that. But we do want to be a place where everybody knows somebody and where everybody's known by somebody, where nobody walks alone, where nobody cries alone, where no one tries to do their life alone, which is one of the reasons we keep saying we got to every so often, pretty often, get out of rows like we're sitting in now, where you look at the back of someone's head and get into circles where you look at someone's face. Someone who's loving you and loving Jesus and on the journey with you because you can't do this by yourself. But we talk about groups so much around here. And if you're coming and you're joining us and you're sitting in a row on a campus, that's great. That's an amazing first step. But if you're not also in a circle somewhere, looking into the face of some other believer and taking that risk of relationship and getting to know others, then there's some feeding and wisdom and some learning and some help and some encouragement that you're not getting. And there's some sharing of your own and some gifts of your own that you're not bringing So I just want to encourage you, just in a practical way, over the next few weeks, this is the time when we start kind of stepping forward, stepping not just to Jesus, me and Jesus, but stepping toward Jesus' people, because if you want to step toward Jesus in the long term, you've got to step toward his people. And we're going to ask everyone to start signing up for small groups and being part of community around here. Stop just going to church and start being part of it, is what we're saying. And I hope... Many of you are ready to make that change. One of the huge things I would ask you to do is we've got this thing where it's an amazing discipleship experience. We've been working on it for a year now. It's called Rooted, and it's going to be amazing. It's powerful. It's awesome. It's cool. Don't sign up for it, please. All right? Unless, unless you want to see some change in your life because it'll, it'll change you. It's experiences with Christ, whether you are someone who's never opened the Bible and aren't even sure you want to be a Christian or you're a brand new Christian, or you're an old timer, it doesn't matter. You're gonna you're gonna appreciate rooted if you sign up. If you knew what it was, you'd go after it like it was free Chick Fil A. But some of you are like, well, I don't know. It sounds like a program. We got to move from me to help me out. We. All right. What about that word holy? Everybody say holy. 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 We use that word a lot. You know, holy cow, holy mackerel. And then we think of it in religious terms. We tend to think of it like somebody in a wool hoodie pressing their palms together and humming or something. What do we mean when we say, I believe that the church is holy? Well, let's be clear. The word holy does not mean moral purity. It doesn't mean that I believe that people who go to church are sort of a spiritual cut above. They're Morally pure. No, that's not what we're saying. If that were true, guess what? Attendance would be way down today. It'd be empty. I wouldn't be here, neither would you. Holy means set apart by God for God's service. It means pure in the sight, pure in standing before God. There's two things about this holy thing I want to help us nail down. And each of them are really important to you and to me. Here's what we mean. We say, when we say, guess what holy means? 
The first truth is this. According to the scriptures, what Jesus did when he went to the cross is if you accept that forgiveness of sins in your life, guess what? He made you holy. That's what we mean. We are already made holy. He gave it to you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. He changed your status and your standing. Some of you are like, well, I'm just an old scuzzbag. It's like, yep. You accept Jesus Christ. You're a scuzzbag who, when God looks at you, doesn't see scuzzbag. Instead, sees the purity of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus. That's all God sees when he looks at me now because of Jesus Christ. Unless I try to get in front of Jesus and say, look how good I am, God, and I try to earn my way to God. I try to do it all. Well, then I actually interrupt the process. So what we, what we need to do is say, I am so impure. I have screwed up and fouled up so much. I'm impure. And Jesus says, I'd like to help you with that. And if you accept his love and his grace and his forgiveness, that's what he meant. It's already done. You are holy if you accept it. That's why he said it's finished at the cross. So you humble yourself and you call on Jesus And he helps clean you up and presents you before the Father pure. So that's the first part. you got to remember this. Some of us don't believe it. We don't accept it. We still try to earn God's love and favor and all that. But he's already made you holy. You are. It's given to you. You are made holy. But here's the second part. Holiness is not just something that's given to you. It's something that we're told to pursue. It's Jesus' way of saying, you are holy. You're set apart. Now act like it. Live up to it. Do something that says you get it, that you're grateful, that, you, that you're on track with God. Pursue holiness. And here's what that means. Every day you're trying to become more like Jesus. That's all it means. You're trying to be less like what your flesh and the world and everybody tells you you're supposed to be like. But in your mind, what you think, in the actions of what you do, you're trying to become more like Jesus. He defines, epitomizes the purity and righteousness of God. Holy. Are you becoming more like Jesus in any way of your life? Are you different? Do you stand out? Is there any way that you're different from the world that's different precisely and only because you follow Jesus? Holy Catholic Church. That's why we say around here, there's no one who's too far gone. We're a bunch of impure, imperfect people. That's what we mean. When we say holy church, we're reminding ourselves, well, we're not, but Jesus is. No perfect people allowed. No perfect people allowed. It's that old phrase, Jesus loves you just the way you are. That's mind-blowing. It's a stinking amazing, or some prefer to say hallelujah. It's a stinking amazing that Jesus loves you just the way you are. Some of you, that's what you need to accept today. Accept the holiness given to you by God. Don't forget the last half of the phrase, Jesus accepts you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. He's not only giving you holiness, he's calling you to pursue it. How will you become more like Jesus? What will be different about you because you love and follow him and he loves and he loves you? What about that word Catholic? This one's pretty widely misunderstood. Boy, have I gotten any letters on this one. Woo! Why are we doing this Roman Catholic stuff? And all the Catholics out there are going, see, I told you, I knew it. This is our stuff. <laughs> Can I just say... Can I just say, this is widely misunderstood, Um, when the creed or language in the English language talks about the word Catholic, 
Uh, it has nothing to do with the Roman Catholic faith. Okay, absolutely zero. The word Catholic, you'll notice, is a small c. And it's simply a word that means universal. That's what the word means. And the Roman Catholic faith borrowed it for that reason. They liked it so much. We say we're recognizing that Jesus' church, according to Scripture, is not just you and me. Not just our little church, but it's this amazing worldwide fellowship that extends in every direction around the world to every little hamlet and village and every bustling city. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus is there and you've got yourself church. And guess what? There's one church. One church. Jesus got himself one church. That's it. 1 Corinthians 1-2 talks about those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the church. Paul says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, the church. So all we are is the church in Joppa, the church in Abingdon, the church in Edgewood. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. It extends through time, extends through geography. And guess what? The Bible even says, you know what it looks like when, it all, when it, we all come back together? Right now, we got some imposters mingled in because people don't really love or follow Jesus. They just think church is like a cultural thing. But one day, the church gets all gathered together in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, pictures what it's like. It says this. It says that when we all get together, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, what will be there is a great multitude that no one can even count. All God's people finally together in one place. You know who's there? Surprise! Every nation's there. Every tribe, every people and language, all, can you see it, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, that's Jesus, and they cry out in one voice, salvation belongs to the Baptists. (laughs) Salvation belongs to the Methodists. Salvation belongs to Mountain. Is that right? No. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so today, those people may camp out in whatever church. I don't think the name of the church really has much to do with it. Some think, well, the name of the church determines we're right and everyone else is wrong. And it's like, no, guess what? There's one universal church, and it doesn't have a lot to do with what name is on the sign. It has to do with God's people of every tongue, tribe, and nation who follow, love, and serve him together. And did you just happen to notice who all's there, friends? There's no black church, white church, Asian church, Hispanic church in heaven. It's about time we figured that out down here, don't you think? we got some work to do. And it's not, it's not just supposed to start in heaven. Galatians 3.28 reminds us that's supposed to look like that right now. Because of Jesus, he breaks down walls that otherwise divide us. There's one universal church, not separate compartments, not separate churches. One church, one tent, one roof over us. Here's what Galatians 3 says. Therefore, in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek. That was the most rigorous, difficult ethnic division of racism in their day. No longer in Jesus' church. That's supposed to happen right now. There's no longer slave or free. Economic differences go away. Employers and employees worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. For you, uh, and no more male or female, we're playing power games in between gender. No, 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 none of that. You are all one in Christ Jesus. What are you doing about that? Friends, we've got to open our eyes to see the church universal. Get out of our little bubble. We've got to open our hearts to accept we've not always done this very well. And we've got to humble ourselves and let Jesus sort it out. You don't have to fix this. You don't have to decide who's in the real church and who's out. It's not your job. It's not my job. 
You don't get to decide and you don't need to waste your breath on it. Be more humble. Can we just be more humble about this and trust Jesus that he's not faked out by what church you go to or don't go to? He's looking for people whose hearts are knit with his, who've accepted him as Lord and Savior. And that way we can just be humble enough to learn. We can learn from anybody. We can learn some stuff from the Catholics about history and appreciation of transcendence. We can learn from the Baptists about the Bible. We can learn from the Methodists about purity. We can learn from the Presbyterians about sovereignty. We can learn from the Lutherans about potlucks, whatever. You can learn from, you can learn from everyone about something. Hillsong teaches how to worship. Everybody, everyone, you know what? All those groups I mentioned, we can think of lots of things that are differences. And some of the differences, sure, they matter. But you know what matters more is they can all recite this creed in unison word for word because that's what holds us together. And what holds us together is much more beautiful and powerful than what would divide us. There's one holy Catholic Church, fellowship, and then the communion of saints. Communion of saints. Communion, just a word that means fellowship. It just means like deep connection, real belonging to each other. And saints is a word that a lot of people think means like some sort of special status of like super holy person, because like some Christians have kind of made that up, but it's not exactly what's in the Bible at all. The Bible uses the word saints to mean Christian. Every single person who says yes to Jesus goes into those waters of baptism and comes out, guess what? You're a saint. If Paul were standing here today, he'd say, hey, saints of mountain, good to see you. Saints and the word holy in other languages are actually the same word. The holy ones, that's what we are. Made holy by Jesus and pursuing it because he loves us. And so the communion of saints is this special fellowship, this deep Connection, this amazing worldwide web with other believers that extends all over the world. Some people you don't even know. And guess what? It's not, it doesn't stop this communion of saints, this web of friendship and fellowship in the faith. It doesn't stop with geography. It doesn't stop at the edge of the county. It goes all the way to the ends of the earth. And it doesn't stop with time. Which means that if your grandmother, who's now gone to be with the Lord, was an influential person in your life, and helped lead you to the Lord, or a Sunday school teacher like Irene Grice was for me. If they've gone to be with the Lord, it means that they're in your communion of saints. And you have a sort of unbroken fellowship, and it's, it's an amazing, beautiful thing. Every single believer, the ones you know and don't know, are part of your communion of saints, a family of faith. Hebrews 11 in the Bible pictures it. It says it's amazing, these people of faith who've gone before us, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and names a bunch of others. It's like a hall of fame. And then it says in chapter 12, all of the people of faith who've gone before us, who now, if I understand Hebrews 12, it says that they're, they're like in the grandstands. They've completed their race of faith, and now they're in the grandstands watching you and me as we are in our own contest, and they're leaning in, and they're cheering us on. Like, you can do it. Don't quit. You can make it. Stand strong. You can be still standing. 
Hebrews chapter 12, look at it. Such a large crowd of witnesses. He's listed all the people of the faith. And, and you can put your own names in there. The people who've been influential to you. People you know who loved Christ and loved you. People who led you, who encouraged you, who pushed you in a good direction with God. They're in your crowd of witnesses. Such a large crowd. And they're all around us. People you don't even know. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. They're there. You, you know, people who've gone by Peter, Paul, and Mary, and everyone else since. And they're there, and therefore, they're all around us, and we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily entangles. You can stop sinning more easily because somebody's cheering you on. And then it says, and we must be determined to run the race that is ahead of us. So we must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. When life gets tough, you keep your eye on Jesus. But it's good to know someone else has got their eye on you too. And that's encouraging to us. It's encouraged. Who's in your communion of saints? Take time to thank God for them. You don't pray to them. You pray to God and thank God for them. One of the powerful effects of the communion of saints, this cloud of witnesses, is is the encouragement factor. It's so encouraging. As you may know, 27 of us are leaving Friday to make our best effort to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, we're doing this for kids out of the slums of Nairobi. We're taking a lot of steps so they can take their next steps, and some of them will be able to go to college and become pastors and change their life because we are doing this trip and raising funds for it. And the way we're going to get up that is we're going to encourage each other. That's how we're going to get up that mountain. We're going to demonstrate the communion of saints. And we're going to go visit our kids that we're sponsoring And we're going to say to those kids, you know what? There's people you don't even know in a place called Maryland in the U.S. who, because they love Jesus, love you and they believe in you. And and that's why they're doing this. And that's why they've invested in your future. I want them to taste the communion of saints, to believe that the church is this big global thing that makes any of us stronger than we would be on our own. And yes, by the way, I've got all my trip funds raised, but I'm still raising money for kids in Africa. And if everyone at Mountain just gave five bucks... We can send some more kids to school. So go to my, go to my webpage, go to uh, my blog, go to my Instagram, go to my Facebook page, and get on there and give me five bucks, will you? I want to I send some more kids to school. But I'm trying to paint a picture of how encouraging it is with the body of Christ when we remember the communion of saints around you. Gwen Richardson got some bad diagnosis this week. She goes to Mountain. She said, before when I got sick, I didn't tell anyone. But I felt like God was prompting me, and she just came to her friends at Mountain. She said, will you pray for me? She came from the doctor's office immediately to her friends. Because now she's moving not just toward Jesus, but toward community. And we did pray for her, and, we, and I want to ask you to pray for her, and you will be in her cloud of witnesses, because it's so encouraging. She has this battle, this contest, but she's not alone. She's got Jesus, and she's got the cloud of witnesses, the communion of saints. Who's in your cloud of witnesses? Who's in your communion of saints? People who are living or dead, but now alive with Christ. Who are they? You hear their voices encouraging one in your faith to stand strong? When I was in high school, I was a wrestler I took up wrestling, which I probably should not have done. My first year of wrestling, I did not win a single match. That was fun. I spent that entire season on my back 
memorizing ceiling tile patterns and counting lights in every gymnasium in southeastern Minnesota. I remember wrestling those big, dumb farm kids from Albert Lee, Minnesota, who had apparently nothing better to do than throw hay bales and get strong and win state championships. Big whoop. My problem was I was just good enough to make varsity, and then they threw me to the dog, and I was like meat for them. And in the middle of that miserable losing season, I had to wrestle the coach's kid from Albert Lee, last year's state champ. didn't take him long to help me assume my customary position on my back, where I'm out there flopping around like a fish. Time is ticking off. The inevitable is approaching. And the coach says what desperate wrestling coaches say when they don't know what else to say, but they know they have to say something. They lean in, and I'm on my back, about to get pinned. And he says, bridge, Benny, bridge. Bridge. You know what bridging is? Bridging is when you're on your back, and you've got somebody about to kill you, and you just are supposed to put your head down on the mat and arch your back and keep those shoulder blades off the mat Bridge, Benny, bridge, he says. If you don't know what that's like, just go home after church today, invite several of your neighbors over and have them sit on your chest and then just get on the living room floor and bridge for six minutes. Bridge, Benny, bridge, Benny. So this kid out there, the state champs out there, he's killing me. He's, he's, uh, he's suffocating me. He's, he's cutting the circulation off to my brain. He's, he's about ready to, to dial me up and put me in my grave, I'm down there, and the coach is yelling, and I'm starting to say, where's the clock? I'm bridging, I'm bridging, and I look over at the clock, and as I do turn my head, I see in the grandstands right there on the front row, my mother. (laughs) And she's leaning in, and she says, bridge, Benny, bridge, Benny. She doesn't even know what that means. She hates wrestling. Every wrestling mother ultimately hates wrestling. It's so painful to watch your kid die. But, <laughs> Friends, there's always someone who's there for you when you're part of the church. You give yourself to the church. You've bought into the greatest benefits package I can describe. I'm not saying you won't have days alone. I won't say you'll mess up and sort of get scared and hide yourself once in a while. But when you do like Gwen did and you come forward and you say, I'm bridging or I'm out here, you're going to hear people lean in and say bridge with you. And my mama's saying bridge, help me bridge. You know, there's someone who loves you. Jesus loves you, but his people with skin on love you too. Call to mind the faces of those who are in your grandstands. They're your community your communion of saints, your cloud of witnesses. Thank God for them, whisper a prayer for them. And if you don't know anyone, guess what? You still have a whole cloud of witnesses that you just apparently haven't met yet. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus himself, and Paul, and some of the people around you. We want to close now, and I just want to say at all of our campuses, If you are moved by anything we're talking about and you suspect that there's something supposed to change in your life, every week we have prayer partners. And what that is for, for someone who feels like, I need to do more than just get up and move my feet out the door. I need to to be prayed for. I want to have someone mark a moment in a decision in my life. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to just come and visit the prayer partner if you're ready to maybe, for example, some of you are ready to get serious about pursuing holiness in your life. Some of you are ready to get serious about moving from me to we. And you just want to pray about that because you're scared about it. 
or you want to get your life on a new track in any way, or you're just hurting, just come for prayer. Also, I want to talk for a second about those who are um, uh, new around here. If you've not been to something we call MI5, at each of our campuses, there's a little table with a balloon. Go find it, and we want to just welcome you and say, hello, welcome, we're Mountain, and in five minutes or less, we'll give you a gift, send you on your way, and you'll be glad you came. Okay, MI5, go find us. After the service today, some of you need to sign up for Rooted or some other group that's happening this fall. I hope that you'll do that. But right now, let's close our service together with a powerful visual demonstration of the communion of saints, the one holy Catholic apostolic church. Can I get everyone to stand at all of our campuses, Edgewood, Bel Air, Abingdon, Mountain Road. We're going to unite our voices together and recite by saying a declaration of our faith. We're going to say the creed together as a way for you to make a declaration of your faith. Here's here's what I know. Someone here is discouraged today. It's been an awful week, or you took a step back in your faith, or something just got you down, and you just need some help standing. You need someone to lean in and go, bridge, Benny, bridge. Let your voice be that voice for the people around you, because we are together the body of Christ. Let someone else's voice and all of our voices encourage you to remind you, if you believe this stuff, you're not crazy, you're not alone. We are Jesus' people, and now we just get to sort of Remind ourselves of what it's going to be like when we all gather together, every tongue and tribe and nation, around the feet of Jesus. Are you ready? Say it like you mean it. Believe it in your heart. Let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Stand in it, live like it. See you next week. God bless.